0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hello, everyone. New year, new intro, because I have temporarily forgotten mine. That's how long it's been since I've been in the studio. Today alone, just recording these intros, or I was recording some ad reads, I mean. See, this is what I mean. Couldn't speak. Couldn't say a word. Really just rough. But we're getting back into the new year. Anyways, hi, guys. Welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast with me, Kenzie Elizabeth and my producer Taylor.
2: I'm here. I, I'm very excited to be here. I almost didn't even recognize Kenzie because her when she came back. Now she's got her the Texas accent back.
1: Oh my gosh! Howdy, y'all! Yeah, basically. I, I was, think I spent some time there. I think I'm back.
2: It was it was embarrassing because I had I was eating my lunch <laughs> and I, I completely forgot about it because I, I lost track of time. So I I I had set the studio up and I'm like, okay, I need. To, she's coming here. I'm gonna print the ads, and then I was like, oh, I need to eat really quick. So I started eating this yogurt. And then she like comes up and it was like (laughs) embarrassing because I was like mid like yogurt spoon as she like walks up to me and I was like, oh shit, like hi. So it was pretty embarrassing. It's
1: a very Taylor thing to do. But how was your holiday break?
2: It was fantastic. I felt like it was therapeutic because I I didn't do a whole lot. And I feel like I always say that, but I think that's so important. And especially when I don't, we didn't have to be in the office, which is great. I love being in the office. It's fun. You get to do a lot of fun things and, and meet a lot of cool people. But it, it's very therapeutic to be able to just work from home and work at my own pace. It, it's weird because a lot of my free time, I was like, oh, I'm going to go edit that episode or do emails while I'm like doing other things. And it, it I, I think I really got a lot of like mental relaxation.
1: Yes, exactly. That is what winter break should be, people. I was in Texas. I had a really great time. I just got back Actually, I literally don't, as I'm recording this Wednesday, okay, I got back on the 3rd So I've been back for almost a week now, which has gone by very quickly. Um, I actually did a major, major clean out of my house because I just have accumulated too much stuff. That is a good problem to have with my job, but also, like, that is very real. Like, I just collect, even without the job that I have, like, I just get so much stuff and then I just need it all to be gone. I wanted to own half of what I had and just give it away. And now I have never been more popular with all of my friends because every single person is suddenly hitting me up to come over to raid my mountain of clothes that is currently in my house. It's really crazy, but I feel like 10 pounds lighter. I just feel happier, healthier, just better.
2: Something I think is interesting is you were talking about you you were getting rid of stuff. I remember... I'm fairly certain that I saved all of my composition notebooks and notes and projects that I did from high school all the way through junior college to college. So much so that at the end, because I kept thinking, wait a second, I may need these notes to where I might have to go do like advanced algebra or statistical analysis. And, but what's the point of it? I literally had a whole like storage locker of notebooks
1: did you ever once go back and look at them N- literally never
2: once yeah not one single time and now I-, I could find anything easily online but there are a couple things that i regret like those essays or these like cool like creative projects yeah those were all trashed I-, I kind of miss a lot of those but other than that i mean literally hours and hours and hours of notes written down that merely just took up space for about a decade of my life
1: yeah no don't do that if anything i mean i know people keep journals and stuff to sell i'm not recommending that I mean, yeah, actually a notebook sell that actually. That's a good investment for someone to make. But yeah, I couldn't do that. That couldn't be me. I think everyone should start out the new year with a nice like clean, a nice clean out. I'm actually... I'm tomorrow going to be back here, Taylor, recording a solo episode. I'm going to do like a 2020 master list of all like my favorite products, like the clothes that I'm going to have this year, my style for this year, um, and like podcasts, books, like very motivational master list, if that makes any sense. It's going to be a great episode, guys. Stay tuned. Um, Also, speaking of all of that, I have been wanting to do like an email newsletter that kind of operates as almost a blog post For the longest time, but honestly, I thought no one would want it and then I saw my favorite people ever Okay, sis, they're doing one with their podcast and I was like, wait, okay We're actually pretty much the same So if they're doing one that means that I should probably do one Then I asked you guys on instagram and on my youtube channel if you guys want a newsletter And now i've never gotten such a positive response on anything So now I will be working on a newsletter that will be coming soon Um, just so everyone is aware and if you guys want it or you don't want it Let me know in the facebook group because honestly i'm probably still going to need some positive reinforcement Because I have no idea what i'm doing also guys This is the last week that you guys can get the merch the I love you so much merch guys It's so cute comfy. I lived in mine over winter break I've been loving seeing all of your instagram stories your instagram posts everything. It just makes me my heart warm me I just smile. It's just amazing Um, that's always in the show notes down
2: below. I'm gonna add one thing to it too. Don't you want to own a piece of "I love you so much" history?
1: Yes, history exactly. You guys are a part of the journey, so you guys want to be a part by the merch as well. Personally, my favorite is the gray crew neck with the black and white ILYSM. Um, it's available on Amazon, so it's super super easy to check out too. Like, that's honestly one of my favorite things because it's literally so easy. Um, also in 2020, okay. I was inspired in for this new year for my podcast as I was sitting in Dallas at dinner with my family at this place called Campizzi's. So if you guys know anything about Campizzi's, you guys are probably are aware that it is famously rumored to be in close ties with the mafia, essentially. Actually, the owner of Campizzi's right now is being investigated as a large bookmaker. It's this whole thing. Jack Ruby, I believe that's his name, who killed Lee Harvey Oswald right yes and, yeah okay you're right in the JFk shooting he had dinner at this restaurant the night before that shooting crazy stuff people I did a lot of research really anyways it really inspired me I want to look outside my normal world for guests for this podcast this year I'm not saying that people who are rumored to be in the mafia are gonna like easily come into my podcast I know that I'm aware also very probably not safe but I would love things like that like any historical ties, like just cool stuff. I'm really broadening my horizons. Would love to hear what you guys want to hear or who you guys want to hear from more specifically. But this episode is very exciting. Um, my Taylor and I were just talking about how we loved it,
2: right? I, I think it's a very unique episode and I think everybody will get a lot of value of it because the perspective and his approach to the way that he's giving the information is is really, really well done.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. He tells all about his story. He got in this like really crazy bike accident and then he was working in a corporate job and now he does this like coaching, executive coaching full time. He has a book, actually it's multiple, but I left this recording just feeling so good about life and I just, I really held off on posting it until the beginning of the year because I knew it would be the perfect episode for kind of like new year, new you, 2020 motivation. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I will have um, his like website linked down below where you can like buy books and check out more information. But really, really good episode. Super interesting. Honestly, perfect for the new year. So I hope you guys enjoyed. And with that being said, let's get into the episode. Hey.
0: Hey, how's it going?
1: Great. I'm so glad you're on. I like, I'm just so excited.
0: I'm beyond excited because as we talked before we hit record, My daughters are huge fans of yours. That's so funny. And so I'm psyched to be here. I was down in San Diego earlier, as you know, up here. Then I'm going to go visit my youngest who's in college right outside of L.A. So this is like an awesome week.
1: That is so cool. Yeah, so it's really cool. That's so funny because I remember, like, I do this thing every year called Vlogmas, on my YouTube channel. And so you vlog December 1st to the 25th and you post every day. And my parents have like your bikes. And so we would, I like vlogged with them last year. That's so funny.
0: So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, that's hilarious. Okay, so do you want to do a little one minute bio, just a little bit of background on yourself?
0: I'm Michael O'Brien. I'm the chief shift officer for Peloton Coaching. And so I like to think that I help leaders and people prevent bad moments from turning into bad days because we all have them. And I try to change how we work together because I believe this. If we can change how we work together, we can change how we live together. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So because we, let's be honest, we need to change how we live together. And we're spending so much time at work. And there's really a tether, you know, between our work life and our personal lives that if we can focus in on how we connect with each other at work, I think we can connect with each other better when we're not at work, where we really see each other and we hear each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's great. Um, where are you from?
0: So I'm from New Jersey, but actually from originally upstate New York. Okay, cool. Went to school in Virginia, went to D.C., and then I went to Jersey, and I thought I was only going to be there for two years. We've been there 21 years. Wow. So we're right outside of New York City, though. So that's the cool thing. So New Jersey gets a bad rap, but I'm like 10 minutes. I'm really close to the city, so I get to experience the city and then get out and start being the burbs.
1: Yeah, that's so nice. I went on this trip to Greece like a year and a half ago. And it was this like travel company. So it was a travel group. And it could have been people from anywhere. And there was like maybe 20 people on the trip. And like at least half of them were from Jersey. So I have all these friends from there now that I like still keep up with. But they're so fun.
0: So it's a really, it's not that bad of a state. Like a lot of people are like, oh, it's Jersey. It's the armpit of the nation, right? So it's all that. So, but you get like a little bit of shore. It's called the Garden State for a reason. You get a little bit of the hills and you're close to New York. And for me, like New York, New York City is the example that we can put a whole bunch of people with different backgrounds and different beliefs and different attitudes. And somehow we live in peace. Yeah. So when when we think, when I get sort of depressed about the world, I'm like, New York City, like that's their big experiment. We have people from all around the world going there and. In relative harmony, we're getting by and doing stuff. Yeah. And that's, for for me, that's a pretty cool example.
1: No, that is really cool. I like how you say it's an experiment, but it's cool. Like, it 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 is.
0: It's like, we're you know, we are trying to, I think we're trying to figure most things out. Like, the people that walk around pretending that they have it all figured out, I'm like, come on. You're like, you're really sort of faking it. So, I think we're all trying to just figure it out. And if we can do that together, it's so much easier to do.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so we're going to do Hot Seat. Hot Seat is a little segment I do. Yes,
0: I love Hot Seat.
1: Okay, great. I'm glad I just asked questions. The first one, this is a staple question that is now in every single episode. What is the best purchase you have made in the past six months under $100?
0: So it's dinner last night. So
1: Wow, that's a good answer.
0: It was dinner in San Diego. One of my old time friends was in San Diego as well for business. He's a veteran. So it was Veterans Day. So I bought him dinner. We got to talk about his business because he's a guy in the corporate world. But like a lot of people, they want to like leave the corporate environment. They want to help people. He just is trying to figure out his marketing, his niche. So it became like this wonderful, like, you know, get together, catch up. And then we pushed all the plates away. We had our nachos and our margaritas Mm -hmm. and all that stuff like that. And then we just got busy working on his strategy for his business. And he left dinner with like great clarity around helping a particular segment of the population. And so that's cool. So for me, that was like an awesome dinner.
1: That's so I love that answer. And the
0: meal, the meal itself was really tasty. So where did you go? Costera. It's right by the water in San Diego. Okay. and walking distance from my hotel. So that made it easy. And it was just great company, right? So like when we break bread with each other, that's that's a beautiful connection. And we, you know, we worked on something that he's going to use. It's going to make a difference in other people's lives. And that little dinner is going to send a ripple out there. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I've never thought about that being an experience. Like the way I like that answer. That was great.
0: Yeah, cuz for me I get sort of charged up by experiences, yeah, rather than stuff. Yeah. Cuz I used to well, when I was younger I used to chase the stuff and then I realized that wasn't really making me happy. So now I go after experiences, like yeah. dinners and trips and all that good stuff.
1: My boyfriend always says food and friends. That's like his favorite thing in the world. He's like, I'm like, what do you want to do? He's like, food and friends. I'm like, all
0: right. Very cool.
1: Very cool. Okay, number two, who is your favorite all time musician? This could also be a band or anything like
0: that. So so. what we'll talk a little bit about today is sort of my last bad day journey. And so I'm going to go back to like the late 80s, 90s. Depeche Mode was my band of my recovery. I played the Violator CD back in the day where there were CDs. Yeah, I played that until I wore it out. So I'm going to pesh Mode, but I could do any band. I love music, so we could spend the whole, whole interview time. on music.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, last one, what is your biggest pet peeve?
0: People that, you know, one of the things I really like about what you do is there's alignment, right? Like who you are online yeah. is who you see in person. And so, especially when we live a lot of our lives online, with what you see online doesn't show up in person, there's a lack of alignment, that's a pet peeve. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I what I want through my business, if people read my books or they see me speak or they meet me, it's like the same person you see online is the same dude you're going to meet.
1: Consistency.
0: Consistency, authenticity, alignment, whatever you want to call it. So when it's not there, ooh, that rubs me.
1: Yeah. And then... You can never look at their stuff the same, their product, their books, their social media presence. It Uh, just ruins it for you. Because it's
0: not like, because you wonder if it's legit, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's just, you know, like, you know, they're just making it up. Or the other pet peeve is that when we're trying to compete on pain. Yes. Like, like my pain's worse than your pain. Yes. Yes. It's like, and then we hyperbolic the pain and then we think we have to like share our pain. So it's a way to be relatable. and. The best way to be relatable is just be relatable. Like yeah. do you be you. But the whole this whole thing of like my pain's worse than your pain. It's like hey, we're all going through pain. We're all going through some suffering. Let's not compete on that cuz that just adds to the pain in the universe. Yeah. So let's hey, share your pain, share your story, be there in support of other people. You know, do you if you will and reach the people you're meant to reach.
1: Yeah, I feel like people when they do that, that is also one of my pet peeves. When they do that, they end up worshiping their pain and like you're, what you focus on is going to get bigger. Yeah. And then they wonder why they haven't gotten like any better or like any healing or anything like that. And it's like, that's because also I think people get comfortable and that's like, when they do that, it kind of becomes like their identity and like a part of them. So they don't want to let go of it, you know?
0: Absolutely. and And then it becomes, then, then we're, like manipulating people around our pain to sell something. And my feeling is share your story. Sure your story is worth sharing and just let your story live. And don't try to make it bigger than it is. Just show up, share your story. The people that need to hear it are going to hear it. They'll connect with you. If you have a product or service behind that, cool. They'll probably buy it. But I would really love if we just stopped like Trying to sex up or hyperbolic our pain. Uh, it's it's not authentic. Yeah. You know, going back to my first pet peeve. So
1: yeah. Very, very true. Okay. I want to talk a lot about your story. I know you have a really insane story. Um, like coaching, especially we can talk a little bit about like leadership and like you were just at a woman's conference, which is really cool. Let's get started with your story. I've read some stuff on this and it's really crazy. So I would love for you to share.
0: Sure thing. It, so it is a crazy story. The doctors told my wife, had it been 10 years older or not in shape, I would have died before I got to the hospital. So wild. So it was back in 2001. I called this day my last bad day. It was July 11, 2001. And if you met me beforehand, I was, you know, 33. my daughters were three and a half years old, seven months old. Married seven years and things probably look pretty cool. And this is 2001. So this is before we could stalk each other through like LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. And I look pretty good on the outside. But what I was doing is pouring a whole bunch of stress inside. Call it imposter syndrome. Call it worry. Call it fear. But there was definitely a component where I was chasing happiness. Like I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I get promoted. I'll be happy when I buy that new car chasing stuff. I'll be happy when the meeting's over. So I was pouring a lot of stress inside because I thought as a leader, I'd have, I had to have all the answers at work. And if I didn't, that caused stress. So I just repressed it. And at home, I was the provider. I was the dad. I was the husband. So I poured a whole bunch of stress inside there, trying to like say, Hey, I'm good. We're all good. Like, but meanwhile, I was like stressed inside. And then went to this meeting it was like a typical corporate meeting that a lot of people may have heard about going. They don't do them as much anymore. And I brought my bike out because I wanted to cross New Mexico off the States. I've ridden my bike in. And that morning I came around to bend right before the meeting. I thought I was being all smart. I was going to get some exercise in and go into the meeting all smug and be like, Hey, you like, I went for a bike ride. What you, you, know, what did you guys <laughs> what did do? Yeah, you know, Lazy bones. Right. So and I came around the bend and a Ford Explorer had crossed fully into my lane, traveling about 40 miles an hour and hit me head on. And Kenzie, I remember everything that morning. The sound of me hitting his grill, into the windshield I went, the screech of his brakes. The Was it of,
1: kind of slow-mo to you? Totally.
0: Like, okay. So like everything you hear about, like everything just slows down. So that that moment took like seconds, but it felt like it took minutes now, I didn't have my whole life flash before my eyes. I didn't have that. But it totally slowed down. And then right before impact, it sped up. And then I got knocked unconscious, as you would imagine. Yeah. And then when I regained my consciousness, I was surrounded by people. But here's the thing. I was surrounded by EMTs and a whole bunch of people in emergency vehicles. But I felt so alone. I was so scared. And they were asking me for my information. I didn't have ID on. I was having trouble communicating my phone numbers and stuff in the proper way. But I did ask the question that another cyclist can only appreciate. I asked them like, well, how's my bike? And and they're like, you don't need to worry about your bike. Your bike's fine. And what I remember though, is that when they put me onto the helicopter to take me to Albuquerque, the medical center, I promised myself if I lived, because I knew that was in question. I didn't know how badly hurt I was, but I knew like things were grim that if I live Life will be different. I'll stop chasing happiness, Thanks. and I had no idea how to do it. I just said to myself, "Okay, if you if you survive this, you got to start living life differently and stop chasing this happiness and just be more present."
1: How long were you in the hospital?
0: Uh, about three months and change, and I probably could have stayed even longer, but the insurance company sort of kicked us out, right? Because yeah. and they and they, so I so went outpatient, and I still was going into rehab almost every day like i had in total like 10 surgeries so what happened what happened was i broke a whole bunch of everything but my left femur when it shattered it lacerated the femoral artery of my left leg so in essence that's the second biggest artery i was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere and when i came out of the icu the doctors started telling me about my accident and they're like well listen the guy had a revoked license he shouldn't have been driving like you are going to have a lifetime of limitations and dependency and pain and suffering and all that jazz. And instead of like, stop chasing happiness, that whole promise, I went really dark really quickly and I got angry and bitter and I was revengeful. I wanted to get back at the driver, you know, the whole eye for an eye thing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized over time that, Hey, you know what? Every event in your life is neutral until you label it. Yeah. And we're just really quick about the labels we choose. So my friend said, you know, my friend gave me that advice. And he said, like, listen, you can label this any way you want to label it. You can label it as a victim like you're doing right now, or you can see this accident as something completely different and you can be defined by how you respond to it. And that was enough of a nudge to say, you know what? All right. So instead of playing the victim card and being sorry for myself because this happened, In arguing with reality that I wish it didn't happen, I made a determination that if I was going to get my body right, I had to get my mind right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing that we really need to spend more time. That was in 2001. I think we need to spend more time on that in 2019, getting our mindset right so we can have the lives and the businesses that we want. I think we're a little bit off on that and we need to spend a little bit more focus on getting that right what are ways
1: or what are things that you do to get your mind right
0: so for me in the morning so the morning became like a a big anchor for me for my habits so
1: okay you're very ritual routine yeah okay love that let's see i want to hear the whole thing very detailed so
0: when i had my big aha i was looking around i was like why are people getting better and i wasn't getting better so i had this comparisonitis thing going on like i used to compare myself all the time this is before social Now with social, you compare yourself to everyone all the time. Mm -hmm. So back then, like I was just comparing myself to coworkers and neighbors and all that. So I gave that up and I said, you know what? I'm just going to be, as cliche as this sounds, the best version of who I can be. I want to be the best husband, best father, you name it. And I knew I had to get my mind quiet to get it right. So the next morning after my big aha, I scooted myself out of bed into my wheelchair and I wheeled myself to a quiet place in the hospital. And I just got my mind quiet and I set my intentions for the day. I spent like five minutes to say, how do you want to show up today? What do you want to be like? How do you, you know, what do you want to have? And I just got really clear on that as far as my intentionality, as we call it today. Then I did the beginnings of my meditation practice. Like I didn't know anything about meditation back then. And really none of us really did. There was no calm app. There was no Mm -hmm. headspace, but I knew I just had to focus in on my breath. Then I started moving my body. I put my Sony Discman on and I put violator into it. And I just cranked the tunes to get my body going. And that became my ritual every morning, plus like 20 ounces of water. So the first thing I do when I wake up is I don't sleep with my phone because if we sleep with our phone or we use it as our alarm clock, a lot of times we're so tempted to get into email and to social and stuff. And off to the races we go, we're back on that hamster wheel. So I have my phone in another room in the house. I wake up, get my water, get quiet, do my meditation. I'll check the phone then, get my body and mind moving, and then I'm ready to sort of tackle the day. So that's what I did as a way to sort of shift my mindset so I could see what was good in the world, right? Like in the early phases of my recovery, everything I saw was something that I had lost. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, I don't have that anymore. Because I was still in a wheelchair. I was still in the hospital. And every little thing became so much bigger. Because I was like, this is so unfair. Life is so unfair. And it kept on pulling me back to that victim mindset. Like, oh, this sucks. This sucks. Like, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? If I couldn't be who I was, who was I going to be? And that question, I just sat with that in the hospital bed for the longest time. So that morning ritual was the ritual that helped me see what I did have. So instead of focusing on everything I didn't have and couldn't do, I started focusing on the things I did have and could do.
1: I love that. I was reading something the other day and because I'm in a leadership program, so obviously very passionate about like leadership and yeah, no, all I, of this. awesome. We're so into like, I mean, i am always been into routines. Have you taken the Enneagram before? Yes. <laughs> what number so, are you?
0: So I'm a two- three.
1: I'm a three, two. Yeah. Okay. I think it really is like, a. It, I think it's more so on the three end is the routine yes. side of it. Yep. That actually really makes sense for you with helper, but I am just so, I'm so into my routines and I'm so into reading and I'm always like listening to a podcast or like consuming things and something that I've just been thinking about in the last year. I'm like, I'm around some of like genuinely the best leaders in the world. And I'm like, I'm getting all of this information and it's like there's a difference between like knowledge and wisdom and there's a difference. I don't know. I just was thinking I'm like I'm getting like so much information is being thrown at me but I really need to like actually like sit there and think about it and like be still and like almost like meditate on it if I want to actually retain it because I'm like I take all these notes. I'm always here. I'm always there. But it's almost like not I don't mean too much in a bad way. Like that's a good problem to have but it's hard to really kind of like get my mind like set on what I like what I want to do and how I'm gonna apply it and things. So like just something that whatever you said about like just being still is so and like setting intentions and all of that. I'm very go, go go. And that's something I like really try to do every single morning. I'm like sitting there. I I'm don't my room doesn't or my phone doesn't stay in another room, but it's like across the room from me. So that's like better. That's good. That's but good but I want it
0: out. Yeah. So what I write about in the second book is like when the phone's right there and hey, when I travel, my phone is my alarm clock. I just developed a habit that I'm not grabbing it, you know, in bed and all of a sudden like it it just pulls you in like Mm -hmm. when you're in bed and that you haven't even wiped the sleep out of your eyes and now you're doing stuff and you really haven't properly awakened and like sort of addressed the day. Yeah. So I'm a big believer like just. Put your phone in another room or put it across the room as you have it. And if it's right next to you, because it is your alarm clock, find a way not to check social and email right away. Just wake up, hydrate yourself. Think about how you want to show up, how you want to connect. Our greatest moments where we really have a point of discovery and innovation as a leader, whatever business you might be doing, is when our mind's quiet. Like when our mind's all filled with a bunch of noise, We're really just reacting to our surroundings and we're not doing our great thinking, the thinking that can really make a difference out there.
1: Yeah. I was telling some girls in my program this morning, and like I am the girl in class who like goes and works out super early in the morning and has the whole morning routine and whatever. Like I'm like that annoying girl to them. But I was talking to them, like, you don't understand. Like I can't process or do my the rest of my day. I'm like, there's also there's like a lot on anyone's plate. And then I'm like, if I'm in the same room with the same 30, 40 people every single day for hours at a time and we're in like a smaller office right now, I'm going to go absolutely crazy. And I will not be good for any of you guys. I'm like, I won't be a good friend. I won't be a good classmate. I won't be a good peer. Like, absolutely not. I'm like, I need to like get up and have my whole morning. I can't just like get up and go somewhere. I feel like I'm just kind of like, feel like life is just happening to me. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know?
0: Well, so one… I know you're a big Pilates fan. So big, Pilates, huge. Pilates was a big part of my recovery.
1: Oh yeah, okay. So cool.
0: I, I wanted to ask you: Have you ever done SLT? No, what is that? Oh, so SLT is like Soul Cycle meets Pilates.
1: Oh, I love both.
0: So, yes, so it is a kick-ass workout.
1: I'm gonna. So do you know if, if they have it in LA?
0: I think they got. It, they have to have it in LA. They have it in New. York. If they have it in New York, they got to have it in LA. True. And they had it in my town in the suburbs of New Jersey. Okay. So it's got to be here. So you're on, on, you know, you're doing a a whole Pilates workout, but it's go, go, go for 50 minutes. So the first time I did it, like I walked in, I'm like, I'm an athlete. I'm a cyclist. I got a strong core. Yeah. I'm going to like crush this. And I walk in and there's like probably 15 different stations. And so I'm the only guy going in. So it's, it's all women. I'm like, all right, I, I got this. <laughs> 20 minutes in, I was dying. I was yeah. sweating my ass off. Yep. It was such a great workout. But here's the thing. The next morning, I could hardly get out of bed.
1: Exactly. It was
0: so, so incredible. So they set it to music. It's fast paced. So it's sort of like a spin class, like a soul cycle, but just doing Pilates.
1: I love that. I just checked. They only have them on the East Coast right now. No
0: way. Really? Yeah, they oh, have wow. like
1: Long Island, so many in New York. North Carolina, Pennsylvania. I'm gonna go though. I'll find a way. Connecticut, Massachusetts. If any of you guys are out there.
0: Because <laughs> it's a, it would be a really Calif, California yeah, thing to be, do. Yeah, it would do well here. It would, yeah, it would crush it, it would here. Crush it here. Yeah, no, it's a super hard workout. Yeah, great, and especially if you're into Pilates, it's it's fantastic.
1: I think working out is one of the best things you can do for yourself. Like it is,
0: really. Well, and the thing is, I was just telling a client this, like, so when we work out, right, the the benefit of it comes a little bit later. So it's not immediate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we feel yeah, the endorphins are going and all that stuff after a morning workout. So you get your head on straight, you're ready to uh, approach the day. So there's benefit there, but the long-term benefits like little seeds that are planted that benefit you in your next couple decades. And that's why some of the the corporate leaders I deal with, you know, they're in their forties, they're in their fifties. I'm like, you got to, take care of your health. Cause if you don't care, take care of your health in your forties, it's going to bite you in your sixties. Yeah, And we all know people like maybe with parents or what have you, or, you know, people later in their career where they didn't take care of their health and in their later stages of life, life is tough. And so that's why I'm a, you know, health is one of my five core values. So I wake up every day. Part of this ritual is like, how can I honor my value of health today? And I may not necessarily be able to get my workout on each day. Like today, I couldn't do it with my schedule and driving up, mm-hmm. but I could do a whole bunch of other things to promote and honor my value of health. And I think that's the choice that we have each and every day.
1: What are your other four values?
0: So freedom is one. Okay. So I want freedom of choice, freedom of thought, diversity in terms of like diversity of background and opinions. I believe, and we'll talk a little bit about this whole concept of a peloton here, probably in mm-hmm. a bit. But a great, diverse uh, peloton helps us sort of navigate this world. Kindness is one. So everything I post has kindness to it, right? And so, mm-hmm. and then the the fifth one sort of sort of toggles back and forth, but certainly a big part of my story is resilience, and another one is gratitude. So the other part of my practice each day is I wake up with intention. I go to bed with intention and I focus in on gratitude. Yeah. And that's the bookend. So before my head hits the pillow, I go through the day and I catalog, what am I grateful for? And even if it's something that's really a challenge, like maybe it wasn't such a great moment, but that challenge, like an SLT class is going to make you stronger because our challenges tend to do that. Mm -hmm. So I do that. Every morning, I wake up with that ritual every evening right before bed, about five minutes of gratitude, and then I go off to La La Land. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat the next day.
1: I love that. I was thinking about this because um, a leader in my life was talking about this, and they're like, you just need to know your values and like pick them out now. And it's just something I think about. It's like, if you don't know what you stand for, like you don't know what you – you're going to fall for anything, that whole thing. But also, if you don't know who you are, you don't know what you're not. And so there's just so many things like I have a note in my phone of like things I'm learning and just I like thoughts that come through my mind all the time, which again kind of goes through. I feel like I'm being thrown a lot of information and I'm not retaining as much as I could because I'm not really sitting still in order to like process it. But that's just something I think about all the time. A value of mine too. I think that's been bigger in the past years. Generosity.
0: Oh, I love that one.
1: And I think I've naturally, I think it comes with a type two part of the Enneagram Mm -hmm. is you're the helper, the supporter. So like I, if a friend tells me like, oh, I like your hoodie. I'm like, do you want it? Like that sort of thing. But I think also like, I recognize I'm like, I'm so grateful for like where I'm at and like my life and I like feel so like blessed. Not in the sense of like, I mean, I say like, oh, I don't deserve it because it's such like an amazing thing. But it's not that I didn't work hard for it. Like I did work hard for it. But still, like a lot of people work hard for things and things don't always work out. So I'm just grateful to like be one of the people that like things have kind of worked out for in the sense of like what I wanted to do job wise. But I think also like the world of generous gets bigger. So the more, the more I give, the more I end up getting. And I didn't really realize that until actually this morning. I was thinking about it. Because we were talking about generosity in class and they were just like, you know, don't hold too tightly to things. That's one thing. They're like, don't like have, live life with a clenched fist. And also, I'm like, I just… I'm… Oh, like, I didn't really… You know when someone like verbalizes something about you and it's something you didn't really necessarily realize and then you're like oh my gosh you're so right but like I'm like scheming to find ways to be generous like a friend I had credit on some website that from like a necklace I already had that was like nice jewelry and my friend like won a gold neck like a gold jewelry or whatever and I was like oh do you just like want it like you can have it I don't need it or whatever and it's like a lot of money and it's just things like that that I like don't really like, I don't really think of, but, like, that stuff is, like, I value doing that stuff so much more than anything else or, like, being of help to anyone. And I also think, with generosity, people think they can only do it, like, by means of money or if they have physical stuff. And I think a lot of the time, like, if you can't, we always say this. It's, like, time, talent, treasure. So, like, if you can't… If you don't have the treasure, like, you have time and you have talent. So, like, what can you give, you know?
0: Well, especially, like, time. Like, time is our most precious resource yeah so if we don't have the money we can give the time mm-hmm. and that's one of the ways I help with the female leadership empowerment is I give my time to a cause I believe in you know you put your sweat equity in I could certainly I could write a check and I've written checks for my membership but where it really matters and the things that you know, that you you hold true and they're part of your values is like give your time mm-hmm. but I'm right there with you Kenzie I think knowing your values serves as your compass. Yeah. That helps you with, all right, how do I want to show up? And I think it's an important thing to do at multiple stages in your life. So the values I cherish today at my age, completely different than I, when, when I was 25 and different, you know, before I got married and we started a family. So I always love when people do it like every five years or when a big life moment is happening. Mm -hmm. And then sharing those values with the people in your life. Like if you have a partner, if you're married or dating, like what values do they have? Because a lot of our tension, a lot of our stress or sometimes our fights happen when we see the world one way and the other person sees it a different way in concert with their values. And now we just have, well, we have two different perspectives and we have this little addiction to being right thing and Mm -hmm. we don't really connect with each other. That's the you know, Going back to like how we can change work and how we can change the way we live, if we connect better and have better conversations, then we have greater empathy, we have greater trust, we get more stuff done, and there's enough space where, you know what, the way you see the world may be different than how I see the world, and both perspectives have some validity to it. Yeah. We don't have to go at each other. We can just sort of respect, hey, you know what, you see it differently than I do, and that's cool. Right. That's, you know, we don't have to like go at each other on social or, or any other point in time trying to like win the argument.
1: Yeah. We have a lot to learn from each other too, even if you're on completely opposing sides and you're not going to see eye to eye. Like, I think that you always have something to learn, yeah. even if you don't agree with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk a little bit about Peloton. How, okay. Did the book come first or the coaching? How did that, what was the time in between the accident?
0: So this, this was like a seed that was planted in a lot of watering, and a lot of fertilizing. So the, the whole concept of calling my company Peloton Coaching happened when I was in the hospital. So here I was in the hospital. And for the listeners out there that don't know what a Peloton is, it's a group of bike riders in a race. So like the Tour de France. So all those cyclists together, okay. that's a Peloton. So they're all on different teams. They're sort of competing with each other. But when they're riding in a pack like that, they need each other. You know, they're drafting off of one another, they're communicating, hey, there's a hazard in the road, they're, you know, just coordinating all that jazz. So they need each other. And I use it as a metaphor for tribes at work and in life. And so when I was in the hospital, I had my whole medical team around me, there might have been like 10 to 15 people from all different departments of the hospital trying to figure out my health. And I went to my wife, I go, they're like my medical Peloton. They're all here to help me get down the road as fast as possible to get healthy as fast mm-hmm. as possible. So I was like, Oh, wow, that's a pretty cool name for a company. I'm going to say Peloton Coaching's in my, my company. Cause I knew coming out of the ICU, I would get into this line of work because I, I knew I lived for a reason, even though in that moment I wasn't completely sure, but I knew I wanted to help leaders lead better. And I wanted to build greater culture and community out there. So I was like, all right, Peloton coaching is my thing. But what I did is I didn't necessarily just leave the hospital and start my online business and my coaching career. I went back to my job, but on my own terms with my own script. And I worked my way up the corporate ladder. So I had the street credibility to coach high-level executives because I've walked a mile in their shoes. So then in 2014, I started my company, Peloton Coaching. And then in 2017, I came out with a book.
1: Okay, cool. So there was 13 years.
0: 13 years.
1: That's cool because I feel like people also will get some sort of dream or vision of what they want to do, especially people my age. Yeah. And they're like, I want it right now. And I think a lot of it, honestly, I mean, I think majority of it has to do with social media. I think even more than that, I think it has to do with people who do what I do, like influencers, because you only see you see the people who like are overnight sensations because those are the people who are the most seen, you know,
0: they're most seen. And but you started you started sort of on the cusp of it, right for for you and for others. And so it looks like it's an overnight success. But you're only here because you put in the work and the sweat and the effort and you wrestle with self-doubt and good times and like not so good times. Yeah. And people just see you today. They're like, Oh, look, look at her. Like, you know, I want that. She seems to be famous in an instant. And yeah, so I do think so from generation to generation, we want things faster. But what I did is, you know, I played the long game. Like we talk about this all the time, like short game playing or playing the long game. I played the long game because I knew if I was going to make a big enough difference in corporate America, I had to be able to sit down with the corporate leaders
2: so yeah, I, had to, sense.
0: I had to walk a mile in their shoes to say, hey, you know what? I know what you feel because I once felt that. And oh, hey, by the way, I have street cred as far as running a big team because my team was as big as a thousand and I had responsibility for close to $4 billion. But I also have this story where I learned that you don't have to chase happiness, that you don't have to follow the script that you think society wants you to follow. You can write your own script and you can yeah. show up at work different, and connect with your people differently. And that's. And that took 13 years to get to that point where I was like, okay, I'm ready. Going back to our values conversation, I knew that if my values couldn't be honored at my old company, then it was time for me to leave. And as soon as we made a change where that was not going to be possible, I left in 36 hours. Wow. Like I was in a meeting, my boss of 18 years got sort of moved out. I got a new boss that I was like, no bueno i'm like not it but not it like not my cup of tea and i sent a text to my wife i was like "We gotta talk tonight i gotta leave and so she knew this day was coming right so we yeah. had talked about it 13 years in the making so the decision was easy when we got to that point because it was all based on our values like what values do we want to honor and then i started my company and then a whole bunch of people said you got to write this book and i was like i don't know i'm not much of a writer you know, I wasn't really good in seventh grade English, and I still had sort of those, you know, even, you know, at my age, it's like, you remember those days, and you're like, man, I'm not a writer. there's was a lot of red marks on my papers. So who am I to call myself an author? And I took a course with Seth Godin, and that was a pressure test. And that that month, I started writing the book and came out with it. And I'm so glad I did, because there's so many people that need to read it, because things happen to us sometimes in a blink of an eye, snap of a finger. And what do you do in those moments? Do you sort of go down this victim mindset or do you find a way to be defined by how you're going to respond to it? And I try to tell the story in a very relatable way because I think a lot of readers can say, hey, you know what? I see myself in you. Like I'm in my 30s or my late 20s and I'm starting a family and I'm working my career, but I'm stressed. And I know there's another way I just need someone to show me that there's another way. Yeah. And, there, and, and, you know, my advice to your listeners is that there are a whole bunch of ways and there's not one way. So if you find yourself following the one way, because you think society wants you to do it one way today, there's so many great ways. You just got to find your way that's aligned to who you are and your values and your purpose and your giving and your support and do that and cuz that's a much less stressful way of living. And when we're living with less stress, we can connect better. And when we can connect better, we can change more lives.
1: What was the process from like the first like word you wrote for the book to it being published?
0: Well, one was trying to decipher my chicken scratch, Kenzie. So, cuz I was taking notes in the hospital, but my right shoulder was broken. So,
1: oh, uh. so
0: my penmanship on normal, a normal day is horrible. <laughs> so I was all banged up, but I was taking journal notes. And so I was like, all right, we're gonna write this book. And I went back to my old journals and I'm like, what the heck did I write? Like I don't even, so I had to like go through that. But my biggest problem was I was living my story. So I knew I had to find a really good editor. So I had all these notes. And I had my memory as far as what was happening and the whole shebang. But my book was there was no ending. So I hired an editor that loved my story because I needed to put it into a story format. Cause that How was where did you find the editor? Through LinkedIn. Oh, okay, cool. So I looked for editors and I found someone who was really big into cycling. And running. And I was like, okay, so I'll talk. Like, but no more. Yeah. So it just could relate to the story. And she, you know, we talked and she's like, I love your story. We got to write this book. I'm like, cool. All right. So, and then she asked me this question. Well, how does your book end, Michael? And she was Aussie. So she had this wonderful Australian accent that I'm not going to try to replicate on your show because I want to preserve your show for being a great show because <laughs> everyone would turn off if I tried to do an Aussie accent. So I was like, I don't know. I'm still living the story. Like I'm still going through it. And she's like, Hey, it's a book it's got to end. And I'm like, okay, well, that's where I need your help. So she helped me frame out the story flow of the book because I had all the detail and we had some like beautiful letters from my wife who was writing out to all of our friends, giving them updates. So people who read it, like it's a page turner because everyone's like, what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. And the really cool thing about it is all the proceeds go to charity. So all the proceeds go to World Bicycle Relief and they help girls in countries like Kenya conquer the challenge of distance. So they go into rural parts of Kenya where the girls are like 10, 11, 12, and they have to think about dropping out of school because the walk to school is too far. It's like 12 kilometers each way through jungle and World Bicycle Relief comes in and gives them a bike. And so they can stay in school longer. By doing that, they graduate, they marry later. They have smaller families, and they have economic vitality and independence. So by reading the book, you help build a bike.
1: That's so cool.
0: And then you start changing a life somewhere halfway around the world, which is really cool.
1: That is really cool. Um, okay, this is going back. I meant to ask this question before. So you were on a work trip. like you weren't home during this in New Mexico. When you went to the hospital for three months, were you still in New Mexico? Did you have to stay there? or did you go?
0: back so we flew back because my youngest came out with my wife because she was only seven months old at the time my oldest was three and a half years old she stayed back with friends so we eventually flew back to new jersey to a different hospital where i had another surgery because i had to have skin graft operations and a whole mm-hmm. shebang and then they took me to another hospital where they do a lot of rehab in fact the guy that used to play superman back in my day christopher Reeve. He went there after his equestrian accident. Uh So that's where I spent a majority of my time trying to get out of my wheelchair. That's where I was able to walk again for the first time and really regain my strength. You know, a lot of core work, Mm -hmm. a lot of Pilates (laughs) and work on my flexibility because there was my left leg. My left leg was the worst off, but my right leg was broken in multiple places too. the right shoulder. You know, I had glass from my ear to my face because of the windshield. So I was pretty banged up. And eventually I left after three months and change, went back home, and I still had more surgeries in front of me.
1: Okay, got it. So I want to talk a little bit about like when you left your corporate job, like the next day, what was that like?
0: That was so cool.
1: Was it liberating or was it it kind of?
0: So it was was in, in one breath liberating and... Also, like, oh, my God, like, this is real. Mm-hmm. And so I had been at my company for 18 years, and I was a relatively a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. So I announced that I was leaving after 18 years, right after Memorial Day that year. And my final day was August 31st, right before Labor Day. Okay. So I had three months to sort of build my website, get my head on straight, like, hey, we're doing it.
1: Transition time.
0: You know, go to Vistaprint and get business mm-hmm. cards and stuff like that. And then September 1st came and it was like, all right, this is real. Yeah. And a lot of people, because of my age, because I was you know, pretty young and they, t- they told everyone I was retiring and they were like, you're not retiring. You're too young to retire. So for me, a big thing was getting my website up so they would know, all my old colleagues, they would know that this is a legit thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing this. I'm not going to just another company. Like I'm, I'm creating my business. So the first thing I did was get that website up on September 1st.
1: Did you hire someone to do your website or did you do it?
0: I did it. And there's
1: Squarespace or something?
0: Squarespace. Okay, cool. So I'm a big believer. It's like, just start. Like, it doesn't have to look like gorgeous and perfect or flawless. Just start, get it out there, make improvements on it over time. So my website today is much, much better than that first one. But so many people want perfect and they don't start. So I did Squarespace. I had someone just do some copy editing for me, just the proofreading, and then put it up, and then you know some photos, and a voila, it was a website. And then luckily, I had my very first clients later that month. So what was really cool was that the people who used to get paid to listen to me, because they were on my team, they started paying me to get coached by me. That's cool. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That, that, was, a, that was a nice confidence boost. Right. You know, so you're on my team, you sort of have to listen to me because yeah. I'm the boss. And now you're like, hey, will you coach me? And I was like, all right, this is gonna work. And what I decided to do is like day by day, like I'm a big day by day by day by day. And you put you put you put your work out there and you get a little bit better tomorrow than you are today. And the next day you get a little bit better, you know, tomorrow than you are today. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I've made a lot of progress. And that's my advice to most people who want to start an online business or their own entrepreneurial journey is start and keep on working on it day after day mm-hmm. and understand that there's a greater purpose out there. A lot of entrepreneurs where we're doing, we're doing our work by ourselves. It's so easy to get stuck. So easy to think, well, no one's listening to us, but people are the right people are. You'll find your tribe or your Peloton and keep at it. Keep pedaling, if you will.
1: So how long did it take for you to build like clientele like by the end of that month when you were when they had come to like listen to you, was that you'd already like you were kind of set, you didn't have a time where you were really looking for people.
0: I would say that first year, I was still looking for people. You okay. know, there's still in the notion of, you know, the clients that come to you and like with any business, like, okay, like you just want to help people, right? And so and then they tell you to niche and it's like, well, maybe the niche is too narrow. And so that first year, I went through all that. I went through like, well, I just want to help as many people as possible. And people said, well, you got to niche it more. I'm like, well, it's scary to niche because I want clients, right? I, I'll take anyone. So I worked on that. That was some just practical business savvy. And some of it was mindset. So I worked on that. After the first year, I was like, all right, we're good. Because basically, I, you know, the agreement I made with my wife is that we're going to give it 18 months. So 18 months, we're going to go after it. If I have momentum after 18 months, we're going to keep on going. If for whatever reason at 18 months, I'm not enjoying this or I'm not successful with it. I'm going to go back to corporate America, but we're going to give it a good try for 18 months. And by the time we got to 18 months, I felt comfortable. Like I got clientele, my clients are getting more successful. They're finding more happiness, not only in their corporate lives, but one of the best things I hear is when they call me up and like, you know, my husband or my wife wants to talk to you. Or they have a message for you and they want to thank you because I'm better at home because of the coaching we're doing around my work. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's, you know, so that's, that is so meaningful. Like when we're, we start coaching about work and leadership and now they're showing up as a better husband or wife or father, that to me is priceless. Yeah. So, yeah. So by 18 months though, I felt pretty comfortable. Like, all right, we're going to make this go.
1: I think it's more about who you are than what you do. I think life is more about that because I feel like that is what translates. And I think like talent will get you in a room, but like character is what's going to keep you there. So you can like be as good as you want to be at your job and you can work as hard as you can to like develop all these leadership skills and stuff. But at the end of the day, like if you're not also working on yourself, like you're just going to fall, you know?
0: Absolutely. So many people, and this is still the case in corporate America, and I'm so like when you were talking about your leadership studies and stuff, this is important. A lot of people will talk about all the external stuff, but the great leaders work on their, they work on themselves. They work on their inside. They do the inner work necessary to lead people, lead people through change, inspire others. Because leadership at the core is not complicated. It's about knowing your purpose. You paint, hopefully, an aspirational future, a picture of the future. It's like something better than today you connect with others and you make it about their success. And then the how is sort of the glue, if you will, or the fabric that weaves that all together, but you need strong inner work. You got to know yourself in order to be able to lead courageously with vulnerability, with gratitude, with connection. So when I go out and talk about leadership, I talk a lot about like what's inside, you know, it it goes back to core, which we've talked about a little bit, you know, like through Pilates, but if our core is strong, then it's easier to work on our edges. Yeah. And we as leaders, as human beings, we need to do a little bit more core work. If we, if we get our core stronger, then we can work on the periphery. We can work on the edges and round ourselves out. But that core is so vital in terms of making connection with, with others and really leading people through the complexities that we have to lead people through today.
1: Yeah, that's so great. The last thing I want to talk about is just like, I love leadership, and we were talking about this. And you said you just came from like a woman's leadership conference. I love what you told me about this. So if you just want to re-say the story on air, I just thought it was so cool.
0: So I've become I became a male ally back when my girls were born. So this goes back, you know, nineteen ninety seven, two thousand, and when they were born, when I looked at them, I was like, all I want is for you to have every opportunity to be successful with any boy born this day, and. What I realize, you know, I'm a white guy, that the playing field has never been level. Yeah. You no, know, for women, for people of color, that I have a life of privilege, right? That just being a white guy, I have privilege that I have to acknowledge. And my, you know, my belief sh- was shifted when they were born. I was like, I want them to have every chance. I don't, you know, want to make the playing field uneven for them, where it's you know, their advantage. I just want like have competence, work hard, put in the effort, make it about other people. And I just wanted, I wanted it to be fair. So I started that way and then I went into my corporate life. And then I realized as I moved my way up the corporate ladder, having diversity in your corporate environment, it's just a smart thing to do as a business, because if you don't have a well-represented Peloton at work, then there's no way you can speak to the people you serve, your customers, your clients, Now, today, in 2019, I believe that diversity, inclusion, and belonging is just what we need to do, one human being to another. It's just what we need in society. So I volunteer for the Healthcare Business Women's Association. So they're an advocacy group fighting for gender parity and female leadership opportunities in healthcare. And here's the thing. In healthcare, there are not enough women at the highest levels. And here's the crazy thing is that most women... Serve as their like the main medical officer, the chief medical officer in their homes. Like, if someone gets sick yes. at home, it's usually mom, it's not dad. So, here we have all these women, some are moms, some are not, but they're not being right, given access to the highest level of co- company. So, you miss not only their perspective, but you miss the voice of the customer. So I work really hard because I think, because health is one of my values, is that if we can have more diversity and more inclusion, more people of color, leaders of color, more women within all levels of healthcare, then we can deliver more health. And I live through this. If you don't have your health, you would trade almost anything to have your health. So for me, this is a big thing. So I volunteer for them. I'm the first... Male chapter president in their 42-year history. That's so it's awesome. it's 10,000 women in the. US. and Western Europe, and they did something cutting edge to make, you know, the first guy a president. And you know, there was some controversy. Some people were like, "Yes, we need more men involved in this conversation because I do believe more men have to join this conversation for us to make more progress on equality and gender parity and pay and all that jazz And there are some people like, "Well, I don't know. we're, like, we're changing. And so that was an interesting thing to sort of live through and walk through. But I'm a big believer that, hey, make it about competence, make the table as big as possible, make the tent bigger, bring diversity into your work. It's what's needed to help solve tomorrow's problems because they're getting more and more complex and change is happening at a faster rate. And if we don't have diversity, we cannot solve them as well as we could.
1: That's awesome. That's amazing. That's like actually so cool. I'm so glad you just like we're talking about this before because I didn't know that.
0: So what's really wild about the meeting, Kenzie, is that so as a white guy, I'm always in the majority. Like I walk around, like walking around the office that we're in, I'm in the majority. But at that meeting, so there's a thousand women at the meeting. You know, there are only a few guys. I'm in the minority. Yeah. And the very first time it happened was in 2006. I went to the meeting in Chicago. It was Chicago that year. And I was like, I got this big title. Like I was the national sales director. I had all this authority. And I was like, I'm going to go to this meeting and learn more, you know, all to like help my girls, right? And I, I walk in and I go up to the second level where the meeting's at to pick up my badge. And I came up the escalator and, I, you know, rounded the curve or the turn. And the whole floor was women. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm the only dude here. And I got in my own head, like, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. This is their party, not your party. Like, who are you kidding? Like, you, you're not, you don't belong here. And I got in my head. And what happened is when I got in my head, I played really small. I just wanted to get my badge and get the heck out. And I I hid. And I think that's what happens a lot for a lot of people who are the only, right? And so we didn't have the term only back then. But I thought about it on my flight home. I was like, well, I'm flying back to the land of the majority. So I wonder how the people back in my office, the people on my team, my colleagues who are always in the minority, how do they feel? Do they feel that way all the time? And that whole trip, in terms of developing empathy, was like a game changer. Because I was like, well, maybe I can do a better job as a leader connecting with people, making it feel more inclusive, have a greater sense of belonging. Because I know how I felt. And I know sometimes when we're in the minority, we, we get quiet mm-hmm. and we play small and we lose our voice. And then we have regret that we didn't step into it. So that meeting was a total game changer. I was so nervous that meeting. Now I go to the meeting, I'm much more confident, much more yeah. comfortable, but still like I'm the only guy in a thousand women. It's not the you know most typical experience for a male leader. But for me, it's so important because the purpose and their mission is so important that we need, we just need diversity across the board. If we don't have everyone's voice, we just can't solve the problems today.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks. Wow. I'm so like, that's such a cool thing to be
0: part of. It is. It's like, you know, it's, you know, a lot of the women, you know, some, some of the women to be fair are like, well, this should be just a women's only group. But most of the women are like, hey, we need men to be involved in this conversation because men still hold a lot of the influence and power. Yeah. So if men are not part of the conversation, then we all we do is talk about how unfair it is. Like yeah. you, know, you need and,
1: people in the positions to be making
0: changes. Yeah. Yeah. And and so let's talk about this. And you know, the thing is a lot of guys today, they do want to participate. They just don't know how and they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to do the wrong thing. So they sit on the sidelines because they're nervous too. And we've gotten to this really cool point. I think it feels choppy and wonky because we're creating history, you know, after me too, and uh, just the, like the movement we've made as far as progress around equality and parity. although we haven't made enough progress, I'll say that right off the rip, but we're making progress and it feels weird to a lot of people because we are creating history as we speak. But we need to be involved in the conversation. We need to be able to say, hey, you know what? I don't get it. Like I I have this perspective because a lot of men today, you know, they were all raised in a certain way, like how boys are raised. And well, I think we have to change how, you know, girls and boys are raised and how we look at the roles we each play in the house, like as far as child care and elder yeah. care and all that. We have still some traditional roles. It's slowly being broken down by millennials and your generation. But for my generation and older generations, they still have pretty traditional views of like, what's the you know wife's job or the mom's job? And what's the husband's job? And we just need more people involved in the conversation, including men, to break this down faster. You know, I, there was one stat that was shared. If, like, we, if we promote women as fast as we promote men today, over the next five years, we would promote a million women into leadership positions.
1: Wow.
0: And you think about that, like, holy cow, like we're, because women are not getting promoted at the same pace as men. So if we just caught up, if women just caught up with men, it was equal because women are just as competent as men. We would add a million people, million women to leadership roles. And I think we would fundamentally change how we work. Yeah. And by doing so, change how we live.
1: That's um, That's like amazing. That
0: so is- it's like yeah. When I saw that stat, I was like, oh my god. You know, like and, that's
1: crazy. And
0: it's and it's easier than we're making it. You know, sound like it's we we can do this. Like you know, we're just we're stuck in some unconscious bias. We're stuck in conscious bias. You know, we have old patterns, old, old thoughts, and I think that's the cool thing about living you know, the, the cool thing about living in today's times is that we're changing so quickly. Like we're making progress in a lot of areas. And for some, it doesn't feel fast enough. And I would, I would agree it's not fast enough. So all that excitement about how fast we're changing is also scaring a whole bunch of people that we're changing too fast. And I think that's the tension we feel like, no, slow down. We're, we're going too quickly. And other people are like, we're not going fast enough. And so we're just coming at the same thing, but from two different perspectives and there's not a right answer. You know, I think, you know, change is going to happen and because of technology and other things, it's, it's just going to get faster. How we as human beings deal with that is going to be important. So the whole, your whole concept of like breathing and sort of taking it all in, that's so important. Like of all the presentations over the last two days, almost every presenter had some reference to breathe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: just breathe. And I think we need to do more of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much well, for Thanks for having on. me.
0: Yeah, it was awesome.
1: Where can they find you and your book?
0: So the best place to go is O'BrienShift.com. Uh, they can find Shift Creating Better Tomorrows on Amazon. They can get an autographed copy on my website. And then my new book, um, My Last Bad Day Shift, that's all about preventing bad moments from turning into bad days. They can get a free copy plus shipping and handling right from my website.
1: Oh wow, that's amazing!
0: Yeah, so in that the, in that book, it's short, it's easy read, but it's a lot of the how tos. Like the, a lot of the how tos, I use to make July eleventh, two thousand one, my last bad day. And for me, it's as we've already talked about. It's not unicorns and rainbows. It's the day you decide to live life differently yeah. on your own terms with your own script. And yeah, that book is free plus shipping and handling, and it's 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 great to just carry it around with you.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks
0: Kenzie.
1: All right guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you guys did, let me know in the secret Facebook group. Guys, the Facebook group is popping off. As always, it's my favorite community. It's my favorite place to be online. Like I'm literally constantly in the Facebook group. I'm also making a lot of subgroups. So if you guys want to get connected with other people who listen to this podcast, you guys can make friends. Honestly, a lot of people have made friends on their college campuses in real life. Um, a lot of people have used it for networking. It's seriously the coolest thing ever. That's always linked down below. Again, this is the last week you guys can buy the merch. So that will be linked down below. But I love you guys so much. Happy 2020. And I will talk to you guys next week.